Ladies and gentlemen, here at the Dallin Road Church of Christ, we do serious Bible study. We do real Bible study rather than just throwing stuff together and saying, well, I think this or I think that about God's will. And I hope you are serious about learning God's will. Thank you for the opportunity to study tonight. I appreciate each of you being here. And, and when we speak of learning God's will, we have been learning over the past several weeks about Jacob and Esau and their story in our Genesis Bible reading. And we quickly identified Jacob and Esau as significant to the Old Testament story. But did you know that they also have an important part in the New Testament story? In fact, they are part of the New Testament narrative in the book of Romans, and particularly chapter 9. Now, the book of Romans is about God's plan for redeeming men. It's about God's plan of salvation. And the apostle, speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what David talked about this morning... God has got a message for us. The apostle in Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 sets forth the idea that both Jews and Gentiles are guilty of sin and need a Savior. He says in Romans 3, 23 that all have sinned, all Jews and Gentiles, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, the Jews believe, well, we've got the law, so we're okay. But Paul in chapter 4 shows that law cannot save. And coupling that together with chapter 5, he says, instead of being saved by law, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that takes us through the first five chapters. Now, chapter 6, 7, and 8, those three chapters in a row, talk about those who have followed Jesus Christ, that they have a life to live. God wants them to live in a certain way. That's why he begins chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 with these words. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who, are, who have died to sin, how shall we live any longer therein it? So they cannot continue in sin in chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You're going to die spiritually if you live like you used to live. But he said, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, that's a quick summary of the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. And there's not a word about Jacob and Esau, not until you get to chapter 9. In chapter 9, we learn something about Jacob and Esau. What we're going to see in chapters 9, 10, and 11 is something about the salvation of Israel. What is Israel's status? What's the status of the Jews now that Christ has come? And so he's going to talk about the Jews and salvation, but by implication, he also talks about the Gentiles and salvation. Salvation is through Jesus Christ. It is offered to everyone, no matter who they are. And some of the Jews rejected that concept. In this section, then, Jacob and Esau are going to be used to teach about God's plan for saving men. Now, I want you to imagine that you're a Jew at this time. All of your life, you were born a Jew, you've lived as a Jew all these years, your daily life, your family, everything is governed by the law of Moses. You are part of the nation of Israel. But now, you become a Christian, and suddenly... Everything, everything has changed. And you probably don't like the change. 
Some of the change makes you really feel uncomfortable. You don't understand what God is doing. Why is it there's, there's so many Jews who are lost and now Gentiles are being saved? Now, that might be your stand if you're a Jewish Christian. But what about someone who's a Jew who has not become a Christian? They don't understand either. And they don't like what's going on. Why is it that God is allowing these Gentiles to come into His family, into His kingdom now? We Jews, we've been the chosen people all this time. And why is God doing what He's doing? In fact, we don't understand what He's doing. Maybe all of this is just wrong. And Paul addresses these concerns in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. And I'm going to tell you in advance that these three chapters are about the absolute sovereignty and authority of God. And it's like God is saying, who are you? Who are you Jews to question how I do things? I am in charge, not you. This is my plan. It is not yours. Now, Paul begins this section by expressing his concern for the Israelites. So let's look at the first five verses of Romans chapter 9. By the way, we're going to cover the entire chapter in the next few minutes. But he begins by expressing his concern for the Israelites. I'm reading the first three verses of chapter 9. He says, I tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. He's thinking here about the Israelites, his, his brethren according to the flesh. He says in verse 3, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Paul is expressing his sorrow and his grief because the Jewish people, apart from Christ, were not saved and could not be saved apart from Christ. So he's worried about these people. And in chapter 10, the very next chapter, he opens that chapter with a similar thought that the Jews are unsaved. He says in chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. What does that tell you? They're not saved. He says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So in chapter 9, he, he begins by expressing his concern for the Israelites. In chapter 10, he does the same thing. But going back to chapter 9, I want you to look at what he said in verse 3. In verse 3, he shows that he has a sacrificial attitude toward the Jewish people. He said, if it were possible... I myself, I'd be willing to be a curse from Christ if it was somehow bring the Jews to Jesus. But he knows that's not possible, and indeed it is not. But then in chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, I want you to look at all the wonderful things that God has done for my people, for the Jewish people. He says in verse 4, My countrymen, according to the flesh, who are the Israelites, of whom pertains the adoption. God had adopted the Israelites and had made them his children. He says, to whom pertains the adoption, the glory. God's glory was shown in the nation of Israel. The covenants. God had made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. He promised to give them this land, build a great nation from them, and to bring the Messiah into the world. All these things were given to the nation of Israel. The giving of the law at Mount Sinai, the service of God, that is, the priesthood and all the things that were done in the tabernacle and temple. And he says, the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God, 
Amen. And so what he's saying is that the Jewish people were were blessed beyond any other people, beyond any other nation. And listen, the Jew who understood this, who understood that Israel had been an advantaged nation, they would glory in God's grace for all that he had done for this special nation. Now that's all good, but the problem here that is addressed in this chapter is the problem of the unbelief of the Jewish people. Yes, there were many who became Christians. On the day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 Jews who became Christians, but the bulk of the nation of Israel, these people continued in unbelief and did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. Now, some of the Jews believed that God had let them down, that he had made promises to them, but they didn't receive the promises. Look at, look at verse number six. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. The Word of God didn't bring about what was promised. We were promised salvation, and now we don't get salvation. And why not? Why do they not get salvation? It's because of their unbelief toward Jesus Christ. That's the problem that Paul identifies here. They did not believe in Jesus, therefore they did not get the blessing. Did that mean that God's promises had failed? Not at all. Did that mean that the Word of God had lost its power, that somehow God could not do what He intended to do? Not at all. The problem is one of unbelief. And so as a result, some of the Israelites, the physical nation of Israel, fleshly Israelites, were no longer regarded by God as Israelites. Look again at verse number 6. He says, It is not that the Word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Now notice there are two Israel mentioned, two Israels in this verse. And he says, they're not all Israel who are of Israel. Those who are of Israel are those who are of fleshly Israel. That's the physical nation of Israel. But that's not God's Israel. God has now a new Israel. There is a, a, a monumental, massive change taking place here. There's a shift taking place here that has actually rocked the ancient religious world. And that is God has a different Israel. Slip over to the book of Galatians for a moment. In Galatians chapter, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 16, it says, as many as walk according to this rule, Galatians 6, 16, as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. Notice there's something here called the Israel of God. And it's the people who walk according to what Paul says is this rule. What is the rule? Back up to verse 15. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creature. It doesn't make any difference if you're circumcised or if you're not. Now, there were some Jewish Christians who said, oh, you have to be circumcised. No matter what your background, Jew or Gentile, you have to be circumcised. Paul says that's not right. Circumcision does not matter. Why not? Because the book of Galatians shows we're not under the law of Moses. God has a new Israel, and it's not the fleshly Israel. The new Israel is a spiritual Israel. And that's what he means in Romans chapter 9 and verse 6 when he says, they're not all Israel. They're not all spiritual Israel who are of Israel. That is the fleshly Israel. There is a new Israel, a monumental shift taking place here. You see, just because the Jews were the physical seed of Abraham did not make them the children of God. Someone says, well, 
I'm, I'm a descendant of Abraham. That makes me special. That makes me a child of God. No, sir, it doesn't. And I want you to look at the next three verses. He says this in verse 7. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, continue on. He says, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. And so we've got Abraham. God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you these blessings. I'm making these promises to you. Now, Abraham has a son, doesn't he? And his son's name is Isaac. And the promises are repeated to Isaac. And so he says, they're not, verse number 7, they're not all the children because they're the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed will be called. That is, those, watch this, and if you mark in your Bible, you underline these words. Those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Here's fleshly Israel. He says, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. You see, God says to Abraham, Sarah's going to have a son. And Sarah has that son. That son is named Isaac. Okay? But that's not all of the seed of Abraham. Because Abraham has another son. Who's the other son? Help me. Who's the other son? It's Ishmael. There's another son over here, Ishmael. That's where the Ishmaelites came from. This is the son of Hagar. And remember what Sarah said? This son of Hagar will not get an inheritance with my son. Isaac is to receive the promise. It is Isaac who is the one that is the child of promise. And someone says, well, what about Ishmael? Ishmael's of the seed of Abraham. That doesn't make him the child of promise. You see, here's the thing. God is making a choice here. When he's got Isaac and Ishmael there side by side, God says, I choose this. I have chosen Abraham and I have chosen Isaac to be the child of promise. Ishmael is rejected as the child of promise. He is not the child of promise. You see, God's promises go through Isaac, not Ishmael. And you know what the Jews did? The Jews said, wow, isn't God wise in making this wonderful choice? Our God is so wise in choosing Isaac over Ishmael. You see where the Jews are going here? They think God is wise in making this choice. But there's more. They could say that God made another good choice when he chose Jacob. You see, you've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is God's plan. This is how God is choosing things. Now look at verses 10 to 13. He says, not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children, the children, not the child, the children not yet being born, nor having any good or evil, having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. If you remember last Sunday night when David and I did text talk on these chapters from chapter 27 to 31, I think it was, 31, 32, when we did our text talk, we talked about how the Lord had spoken to Rebekah before the two boys were born, Jacob and Esau, and said what? The older, the one born first, Esau, will serve the younger, will serve Jacob. Jacob was the one who was to be the child of promise. So you've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
But now there is this other son, there's Esau. And Esau, that's where the Edomites come from. Seed of Abraham? Yeah, even the seed of Isaac. But not of the promise. Not of the promise. They are rejected. God's plan is not going to go through Ishmael. God's plan is not going to go through Esau. And you know what the Jews did? The Jews said, wow, our God sure is wise, isn't he? God is making great choices all the way along. He's chosen Abraham. He's, he's chosen Isaac. He's chosen Jacob. These two sons, Jacob and Esau, illustrate how God is the one who is in control. And I want you to don't miss the point here. It is God who determines how his plan will work. If you don't get anything else from the lesson tonight, get this. It is God who determines how his plan will work. David and I pointed out last Sunday night that when it came time for the blessing, Isaac, who does he want to bless? Which of the sons, is it Jacob or is it Esau, that he wants to bless? You know it's Esau. But God doesn't work it that way. God says it's going to be Jacob. Esau, who had sold his birthright and then lost his blessing and the promises that were made. Esau wanted to be the child of promise. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 says he sought it bitterly with tears. But Esau, the plan is not going to go through Esau. It's going to go through Jacob. Whatever you may think about how all that worked out, God's plan was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the way it was going to work. And now out of Jacob, what do we have? Out of Jacob comes the nation of Israel. Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel, and then Jacob had 12 sons, and that's the beginning of the nation of Israel. Look at verses 11 and 12. The children not yet being born nor having done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said, the older shall serve the younger. What is that word election doing in there? Election simply means choice. And it's God's choice that is going to determine this. It's not going to be Isaac's choice. And it's not going to be Esau's choice. It is God who is making the choice that the, that the promise is going to come through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now through the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel would serve God's purpose. God chose this nation over the nation that came from Esau, the Edomites. And that's God's business. Why is it God's business? Because he's God. He's the one who's in charge, and nobody is going to tell God how to work his plan. God is doing that. And you know what? It turns out that God's choice was a good choice. And again, again, the, the Jewish people could say, oh, our God is so wise. He chose Abraham. He chose Isaac. He chose Jacob. And he chose us, the Israelites. We are the people of God. Our God is so wise. Praise be to God. And indeed, Israel, with all of its faults, was still a better nation than Edom, Esau, and it served God's purposes. When you look at verse number 13, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, sometimes people get confused when they see that verse, and they think what's going on there is God's talking about the two boys. He's not. When he, when he speaks in verse 13 of Jacob and Esau, 
He is talking about the nations that came from them, not the two boys. Go back to the book of Malachi, the first three verses of Malachi. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, begins with these words, the burden of the word of the Lord by, by Malachi to Israel. I have loved you, says the Lord. He's talking about Israel, the nation. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, the Israelites say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains. Esau, the boy, didn't have mountains, but Esau, Edom, the nation, did indeed have mountains, laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness, even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return. It's talking about the nations, the two nations that came from the two boys. You had from Jacob, you had the Israelites, the 12 Jewish tribes, Esau, you had the Edomites. And God says, I love the one and the other I did not. I chose the one, the other I did not. I blessed the one, the other I did not. And so once again, Israel could glory in God's choice. They say, how wise is our God? Look at what he's done. And so the idea of God being wise, God is righteous. He's righteous in all of his choices. There's a second question that is asked here. If you back up to verse number 6 and you treat verse number 6 as a question, then there's a second question asked. Verse number 6, going back to Romans chapter 9 and verse 6, it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. Has God failed in his promise to Israel? If you treat verse 6 like that, has God somehow come short and not done what he said he would do? What do you say? God has not failed. The word of God is still powerful. Now the question is, is God unrighteous in making these choices? Choosing Abraham, Isaac, choosing Isaac over Ishmael, choosing Jacob over Esau, choosing the Israelites rather than the Edomites. Is God doing something wrong in that? Thank you, brother. Paul agrees with you. He says, certainly not. Look at verse number 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. God is not doing something improper or unfair. But the Jews, they believed that God was being unfair with them. He had promised them salvation. He promised it way back in the days of Abraham. But they didn't receive salvation here in this time that Paul writes. They didn't receive salvation. And why did they not receive salvation? It's because they did not believe in Christ. Let me illustrate. Let's say you've got a, a, a 10-year-old boy. You're, you're a dad. You've got a 10-year-old boy, and your son really wants a bike. And you say, son, for the next six weeks in school, I want you to do your homework every day. And, and at the end of six weeks, you bring me a note from your teacher that says you did your homework every day, and I, I'm going to give you that bike. You promise, Dad? You promise, really, you're going to give me that bike? That's right, son. You do your homework every day and turn it in every day. All I want is a note from your teacher that says it's so. At the end of six weeks, you don't get your bike. Dad, you promised. But you didn't do your homework. And because you did not meet your end of it, you do not get what I promised. Is the dad being unfair in that? Listen, dad, if you're a, if you're a good dad at all, you're not going to give that boy that bike. Because you put conditions on it, and he chose not to meet those conditions. Here, God's condition for salvation is that you believe in Jesus Christ. 
and the Jews didn't. And so they're going to miss, they're going to miss salvation. The thrust of this whole section is, who are you to charge God? Who are you Jews to charge God with being unfair or unrighteous? Who are you to question the actions and choices of the all-wise, all-powerful, all-authoritative, all-sovereign God? I want you to read with me verses 15 to 24. Just stay with me on verses 15 to 24. Now, God's going to explain here, Paul's going to explain, that God is not unrighteous in his choices. He says in verse number 15, he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. I'm going to decide how mercy is dispensed. That's my decision. It doesn't belong to you Jews. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. You see, you look at the case of Isaac. Isaac willed, it was his desire, that Esau be the child of blessing. But Isaac's will is not going to reign in this thing. It was Esau's will that he be the child of blessing. But Esau's will is not going to reign in this thing. God has chosen Jacob, and that's the way it's going to be. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. God's going to do this on his, on his terms. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, now Pharaoh's introduced. He says, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills he hardens. Ah, Pharaoh's will is that God not show mercy to the people of Israel when they're in bondage. That was Pharaoh's will. But God's will was, oh yes, you're going to let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, I'm not. God says, you just watch and see. Because I have determined that I'm going to be merciful to this people and bring them out of bondage. Pharaoh says, no. God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And Pharaoh loses. Why? Because God is the one who's in charge. And again, the Jews could look back on what God did in delivering the Israelites from bondage and say, oh, look what our great God has done for us. Verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? God has blessed us all the way along. Why is he finding fault with us now? For who has resisted his will? Why, it's you Jews who have rejected, who have resisted and rejected his will. You've rejected his son, Jesus. You refuse to believe in him in spite of all the evidence, in spite of him fulfilling prophecy, in spite of his miracle signs and wonders that he did and that the apostles have done. You have rejected him. So you're the ones who have resisted his will. But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? You see, the Jews are arguing with God. Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor, another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us? whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. You see, here the Gentiles now are part of God's plan. They get to be a part of the saved body, the kingdom of God. You see, what the Jews were doing, they were questioning God. 
What are you doing? It's not right. You made promises to us, and we're not getting the promises. He mentions the case of Pharaoh. That's one where the Jews could glory. But the point is, God does what God does, and no one's going to tell him otherwise. Not Pharaoh, not anyone is going to tell God what he's going to do. God is in charge, not the Jews, not the Gentiles. See, what was happening is these Jews were arguing with God. And, and listen, don't men do the same thing today? Don't people today still argue with God? How many times have you heard someone say, I just don't see why God says, and then finish the sentence however you want, why God says we have to be baptized. What is this about taking the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? I just don't see why God says we should do that. And when people say things like that, when they say, I just don't see why God says, they nearly always say it in a whiny way. They're whining, complaining against God. Ladies and gentlemen, salvation is God's choice. It's His plan. He's the one who decides how men are going to be saved. It's a matter of His grace. It's undeserved. Did Israel deserve all these wonderful blessings that Paul mentioned back in verses 4 and 5? No, they didn't deserve it. What about you and the blessings that you have as a Christian? Do you deserve any of that? This is a chapter about God's grace, and it's about God's will. Salvation is by God's grace, and who in the world is puny man that we would argue against God? I will tell you, folks, when people argue against God, they need to learn a lesson, and that lesson can be summed up in two words. Shut up. That's what God is saying to the people of Israel. Whether you're a Jewish Christian who's complaining that so many Jews are unsaved, or whether you're not a, a Christian, you're just a Jew who's rejected Jesus, God says, that, that's it. You be quiet. You're not going to tell me how I'm going to do my plan of salvation. Here you've got, in this text, you've got the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, verse 17. How did God harden Pharaoh's heart? By requiring of Pharaoh what Pharaoh did not want to do. And Pharaoh's determined he's not going to do it. And God hardens hearts in the same way today. Men and women decide, I don't want to do what God says. I don't care what it is. I don't want to do it. Well, that's part of the hardening process. That's how it works. At the end of this section, God is the potter. How can the clay that is being formed by the potter, how can the clay argue with the potter and say, hey, you're doing wrong? It's an absurdity. The Jews wanted to argue with the potter just like Gentiles do today. And Paul is going to make it clear that Gentiles ought not to be puffed up against the Jews. That's, he's going to get into that deeper in chapter 11. Someone may be sitting here tonight or watching this and say, well, you know, we're, we're Gentiles and we're saved. We're better than those Jews. If you're ever caught arguing against God, you're no better than they. You're doing the same thing that these Jews were doing. Now, Paul is going to wrap this chapter up by showing that it was God's plan all along to save Jews and Gentiles, to bring them together and make them one people. Look at verse, let's begin again at verse 23, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, that's Jews and Gentiles who will believe in Jesus, which he had prepared beforehand for his glory, even us of whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, what he's saying here is that Hosea talked about Gentiles being saved, the prophet Hosea. He said, I will call them my people, which were not my people. That's Gentiles. 
And I will call her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. Here are people who were not God's people, but now they become God's people. He's talking about Gentiles. But there's more. Look at verse 27. As he gives a prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Hosea spoke of the Gentiles. Isaiah speaks of Israel. He says, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea. Remember the promise that was made way back in Genesis uh, chapter 22, I think it was. Uh, God told Abraham, your offspring is going to be like the sand of the sea, like the stars in the heavens. Who can count them? Your, your offspring is going to be so, so great, so many. And he says, even though that's the case, the, ch- the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant shall be saved. Ah, that was Isaiah who wrote that. Only some Israelites would be saved, not all. Even though you've got millions and millions, only the remnant would be saved. That was God's plan all along. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, here's going to be more from Isaiah. Unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, had left us a remnant... We would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. If God had not preserved some of us, we'd have been wiped out and destroyed completely. But it was always God's plan to save the remnant. And that's what he's saying here. What shall we say then? How are we going to summarize all this? Paul says that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, you see, in time past, the Gentiles had not sought God. But what happens to them now through Jesus? The Gentiles who did not seek righteousness, they have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which of faith, salvation is by faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Gentiles are being saved and Jews are not. These who are not seeking it by faith. Verse 32, why? Because they did not seek salvation by faith but as it were by the works of the law for they stumbled at that stumbling stone and who or what is the stumbling stone as it is written behold i lay in zion a stumbling block and a rock of offense and whoever believes on him will not be ashamed that stumbling stone is jesus and the jews have stumbled at jesus and so what does he show here that, it, that God knew all along from the time of Isaiah that it was only going to be a remnant of the Jews who would be saved. And from the time of Hosea, God made it clear that Gentiles would be included in God's plan of salvation. Gentiles could be saved. That's God's plan. And God did not need the Jews to tell him how to work his plan. There are two classes of people. There are those who accept Jesus Christ Jews and Gentiles, they're saved by faith in Him. But there's another class of people, and that's people who do not believe in Jesus. And the apostle, early in the chapter, I told you to underline something early in the chapter. The apostle, early in the chapter, talked about those Jews who did not believe in Jesus. And what did he say? The children of the flesh are not the children of God. We've got people in Beaumont and all across the country and even around the world today who are saying, oh, we are the chosen people of God. We are fleshly Israel. And they try to somehow demonstrate that 
in some way that they're part of the ten tribes or part of the, some of the tribes of Israel. They've got all kinds of ways that they try to figure this out. You know what? If they figure out that they are part of the ten tribes or twelve tribes, whatever they may figure, it's not going to help them. Because the children of the flesh are not the children of God. Someone says, where do you get that idea? Did you not see it early in the chapter? Verse number 8. Those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as seed. The promise involves Jesus. And so here's how God's plan works. God chooses Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From Jacob comes the 12 tribes of Israel. Here's the Israelites. These are all fleshly Israelites. But now, those who choose, Christ comes out of the the tribe of Judah, out of the nation of Israel, and those Jews and Gentiles who follow him are saved in him. But the children of the flesh, fleshly Israel, these are no longer the children of God. And I, I will tell you, there's a, for a long time, all the time that I've been preaching, almost 50 years, I've heard people say, oh, well, now remember the Jews, those are God's chosen people. God has a special blessing for the Jews today. No, sir. It just isn't right. You've not been studying your Bible, if you're going to say that. The special blessing belongs to those who are in Christ Jesus. That final verse. Verse 33, Christ is the testing stone. He's the one, you you either choose him or you reject him, but he is the testing stone. He makes, God makes Christ available to all of mankind. Whosoever will, that's the promise. Jew, Gentile, you get to choose him. The question is, what will you do with him? Will you argue with God as so many people do? Or will you really turn to Jesus for salvation? You see, the story of Jacob and Esau in the New Testament is a story about God's choice. God's already given us his choice. He chose Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the nation of Israel, and now Christ. And only those in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, are going to be saved. That's the choice that we get to make, and that's the only choice we get to make. And that's how we're saved, through Jesus Christ. And so if tonight you look at yourself and you're outside, you're missing what God has planned for you. Whatever your heritage may be, red or yellow, black and white, whether you are of the fleshly Israel, it doesn't matter. You still need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Jesus himself said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. If that's what you would do, we invite you to come now while we stand and sing. Come on now.